It was just uh, sort of a typical Monday, and I had been at meetings at different locations and had called home and spoken with my husband in between meetings, and he said I sounded great, I sounded wonderful, and I was looking forward to getting off maybe on time that day <laughs> because of my meeting schedule that afternoon. And got back to my office and just the normal routine kinds of things, had lunch, was talking to my associate, and we were laughing about something, and I killed over and cardiac arrest. This is Voices of Duke Health. I'm Karishma Sriram. Today, Betsy's story. Betsy Hames works in human resources at Duke. When she passed out, her coworkers immediately sought help. Dr. Adrian Hernandez, a cardiologist, was among the first to respond. He was sitting in his office. And, um... My assistant came running in and saying, someone needs help, uh, they passed out. And I was thinking that it was someone that was in kind of our area, and it turned out that was not the case. There was like, no, you know, it's Betsy. And Betsy was in her office in Duke South. This is a, a primarily an outpatient treatment setting, an office space. So there's, there's not an ICU right next door. It's, it's actually in a hospital about a 10-minute walk away. This is Dr. Jonathan Bay. And uh, there was an overhead page that said, Code Blue, uh, sixth floor of, of this particular zone. And many of us just started running to that zone. I remember coming out of the hallway because, you know, you never know. Because you are further away from the main hospital, it takes a little bit of a longer time for our first responder team and life flight to get there. Another doctor who was notified was Dr. Kara O'Brien. I actually was wandering around the green zone and couldn't, I didn't find anybody. And this was before it was overhead paged. And I was trying to find where I was supposed to go. I actually made a complete lap um, around between the yellow zone and the green zone and didn't see anybody. And in the meantime, picked up a couple other stragglers because I was like, there's a code somewhere. Can you help me find it? Meanwhile, Dr. Hernandez had sprung into action. And he'd actually never been to Betsy's office, so... On kind of an instinct, you know, I turned and said, like, Where's her office? What number? And they said 600-something. 602. I didn't even know the building had six Mm -hmm. floors. (laughs) So ran up the stairs, and Scott uh, Gibson followed with me. And then we got up to the um, fifth floor, or fourth floor. I can't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like we were in this maze because it wasn't a straight line up the stairs to get to the sixth floor. And there were just a series of doors. It was almost like we were in some type of uh, Harry Potter house uh, <laughs> where like, you try to find the mystery door. And Dr. Bay wasn't having much luck either. Where is it? Where, where is the sixth floor? And, and we just started running in that direction. And then we were running up the steps of what we think is the right area of the building. And we get to this place where it's like it only goes to four or five. And one of the really, I think, small miracles here, there was uh, uh, an environmental services employee who was there, Evelyn, uh, who had recognized that people may get lost and and was standing by the door, like, pulling people in, like, "It's, it's here, go this way, go this way. I was on the fourth floor, green zone, cleaning the the men's bathroom. That's Evelyn McClure. And I happened to hear this code blue. And I was like, okay. And when they said green, I was like, oh, my God, this is my area. So then I I listened again when they did a second, and I was like, 
okay, they say the sixth floor. I said, there's my ladies up there. I said, there's my girls up there. I said, something going on, so I, I got to go. So I just felt led that I had to go and be there standing at this door because I know which way the code team travel up the steps and not using the elevator. And so when I said to myself, well, I got to go. <laughs> so I went to the door and I was really excited when I seen a head pop up. And the first thing they say, do you know where the second floor? And when they say, do you know where the second floor? I was like, okay. I said, we're going to make a bout phase. I made a bout phase. I said, it's time to go. I said, come on. I said, I'll show you. And so when we run up the steps, we did. Thanks to Evelyn, they finally found Betsy's office. And then that's when I saw you um, with your head on the table, uh, passed out. And we pulled you off the table and we started CPR. And then soon the lifelike crew had made it up and then started helping us out. But uh, that's a memory I won't ever forget as just seeing you um, passed on the table, not knowing what's going to happen next. Meanwhile, Dr. O'Brien arrived and jumped into a role as code team leader. And I, you know, just stepped back and said, okay, what are the other roles that we need in a code? Who's going to place IV access? And I can remember at that point, Lisa Pickett was there. She happened to be in a good position to do it. It's like, Lisa, you're going to be our access. And, you know, what are the other crucial roles? And just looking at the sort of people that were there at that point. And just, yeah, I mean, I think Corey's drilled us, drilled it into us for years now that these are the roles that have to be identified in a code, no matter who they are, yeah. um, what credentials they have. Dr. O'Brien just mentioned Corey. That's Corey Miller, who's in charge of training staff on how to resuscitate patients during codes. Here's Corey. I think that was one of the best things um, that I saw happen was their, you know, rank, position, seniority, all of that, just it is, as it should, kind of goes out the window, and everybody does what they're best equipped to do at that moment. It was so quiet and calm. Mm -hmm. Sorry you missed it. <laughs> it, was, it was very, it was amazingly quiet and calm, and everybody just fell into a place that they, into a role they needed, you know, that needed filling. Everybody brought a piece of equipment or a med. Everybody had a piece of the puzzle to bring. And we had done a lot of planning and a lot of prepping and a lot of testing of the system to make sure that we would have the right equipment and right people and right medications come to all codes in all areas. But that was the first time I think we really put it to an extreme test. But it worked out. Everything that was supposed to show up showed up. All the people that were supposed to show up showed up. And everybody knew the role. And um, I was pretty proud of the whole system. Despite how smoothly the code was going, the team still felt worried about Betsy. This was a prolonged resuscitation, probably one of the longest that I've personally been involved with. And I think, you know, nobody wanted to give up. Um, and Praise God. yeah, mm -hmm. we had kind of, um, I don't know, you sort of lose track of time in these events and more and more people had come and we were sort of trying to figure out how we knew we needed to get you out of there. Eventually, they were able to get Betsy to the emergency department. As she was leaving that room, we had no idea what was going to happen. She was on a special machine that would continue compressions, and uh, we were setting things up so when she arrived in the emergency department, she could be put on a bypass machine to continue the blood flow. 
And honestly, you know, I wasn't sure I would see her again. And Dr. Bay shared that fear. Uh, there was a general feeling in the room that this, this was this was not going to turn out well. We were really worried about that. There were some of your team members there. I remember standing with them and talking to them and trying to provide support and counsel to them about next steps. Uh, I remember actually being fairly shooken up by the whole event myself. I you know, was talking to one of the other code team members, and you know, as Adrian said earlier, when we see you know, this type of event in the hospital, you're surrounded by a team, you're surrounded by resources, and you're surrounded by the constructs of the hospital as well as the, the more familiar doctor-patient relationship as opposed to a, a team member. So, I, you know, I'm, I remember having to go and sit and have coffee just to debrief the event, thinking like, you know, we did what we could. Uh, but then fast forward uh, several weeks, the next time I saw you, I'd heard rumors that, you know, things were going okay, but the next time I saw you, I was rounding on uh, general medicine and I, I was walking on to a unit and and you were you were leaving. You were they were they had you in a wheelchair and they were rolling you off and you were like, Hey, I'm going home and uh, and I was so struck by that, almost left speechless. I couldn't even believe it. I immediately went and was like, Oh my you know, I went and called some of my team members and was like, Oh my god, this is this is just astounding to me uh, to have that cognitive dissonance about what we assumed was we don't get to oftentimes hear the whole part of the story uh, and to see it come that way really was just a reminder of the just absolutely amazing things we do at Duke and when Corey heard Betsy was doing well she recognized how powerful it is to have that closure as someone involved when you run to events like that you as a team member, you also need closure, mm-hmm. you know, and there's so much HIPAA and protected, and that's obviously there for a very good reason. But um, you still have to know when the extraordinary circumstances and extraordinary events happen, you have to kind of be able to close it up in your brain to be able to move on. When Dr. O'Brien heard the good news, she was in disbelief. Just given how, how prolonged that resuscitation effort was, um, and I think we tend to see, or at least I tend to see, the bad outcomes, yeah. right? The resuscitations in Duke North that are that long typically don't have a good neurologic outcome. And I think it's a self-protection mechanism that I often don't follow what happens to the patient because I think the outcomes are often poor. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I had mostly assumed that was going to be the outcome in this case. And so, I, I mean, honestly, just disbelief. I'm still in disbelief, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and when Evelyn saw Betsy... Oh, I was excited when I saw her back, and I looked at her and I said to her, I said, Betsy, I said, you know, God was in the midst of that. And she was like, oh, yeah, I know. And and I meant to look at her when she come back. She looked the same way she looked right now. <laughs> like nothing never happened. Yeah. But it was just amazing to see how well she recovered and how fast she recovered. That's the thing about that. You know, I was like looking at her and I'm like, wow, don't look like nothing never happened. I've worked at Duke for 32 years and, you know, it takes a team has always been sort of a, a phrase tossed around. And Duke is a really amazing place, and it's really amazing because of the teamwork and the way people will step up and drop hierarchies. And, you know, it's 
when there is a patient that needs something, everything else disappears. And I've never seen a better example of it in all my years than on that day. Still, it's the the outcome. I mean, yeah. again, just because the codes in Duke North so often result in poor neurologic outcomes, to actually just have one remarkable save um, is enough, you know, to save one life with this enormous process that Corey's really built, um, it makes it all worth it. After all of this had happened, uh, and, and we had talked, and, you know, she had said, uh, you know, I just feel so grateful. What, what can I do? I just am so thankful. I just wanted to, to connect. And I was like, Betsy, like the fact that you're here and and alive and even talking to me, like that's, there's no thanks that needs to be said. That is the thanks. Uh, that is li- li- literally the reason we get up and, and come to work is to do that. I, I remain struck uh, by being in a place like Duke where I genuinely believe that miracles happen every day. We walk right by them, and we oftentimes don't take even 20 seconds to stop and go, wow, that was a miracle. Uh, and for me, you know, you know, Betsy gets to be that miracle that we get to see every day uh, about the things we, we can do here when we all work together as a team. I, I can tell you it's very emotional for me because it's hard to thank. How do you thank someone for saving your life? And all I can do is hug them and cry. That's all I can do and say thank you. The people here at Duke are special. And um, to see the number of people that responded, that just they heard the code blue and they went, and maybe not necessarily had to, not part of the code blue team or not a life flight team or a doctor. They were there and just trying to do whatever they could to help. And they didn't give up. They could have given up at points along the way, but they didn't. What we do here is important. I mean, not just the medical providers, but everybody has a certain role here at Duke. And I think that's why we're here. I think we're here for a purpose. And I think we're here to serve others. And um, it's just been a blessing, the whole thing, to get to where I am today and to be able to look back and um, talk to people and say thank you for what they did for me that day. And so one of the things that I'm hopeful from Betsy's um, experience is that we share that in a way that people realize the first person that can start CPR is a person who's going to make the biggest difference. Um, So every minute counts. And so um, having people know that they can make a difference that way, you don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to be in healthcare, um, but the first person to, to start things is uh, can make the biggest difference. Thank you to Adrian, John, Kara, Corey, Evelyn, and of course Betsy for sharing your stories. As Dr. Hernandez mentioned, starting CPR early can really make a difference. So, if you'd like to be trained in CPR, check out our website for more information at www.listeningbooth.info.
If you like what you just heard, we hope it'll spur your own conversations. Ask a friend what inspires them or what they're grateful for. And let us know if you would like to record a conversation in our listening booth. Visit www.listeningbooth.info to learn more. Voices of Duke Health was created by Anton Zeiker and Jonathan Bay. The show is produced by Susanna Robertson. Theme music was composed by William Dawson, musician-in-residence at Duke University Hospital, and produced, arranged, performed, and recorded by Mark Simonson and Jack Fleischman. Additional music for this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. And special thanks to Duke Institute for Health Innovation for making this podcast possible.